Welcome to the Influential Nonprofit, the show for nonprofit leaders to grow their influence so they can grow their income and impact. Now, here's your host, Marianne Dersh. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Influential Nonprofit. I am your host, Marianne Dersh. Each week, I bring to you inspirational nonprofit leaders who are influencing their communities and doing great work. And this week, I have Sarah Javier, who is the CEO and president of the Animal Protective Association of Missouri. And I have to tell you, I love, I have three dogs and I foster dogs and the APA is amazing. But let me just tell you, Sarah has, she's a powerhouse and I can't wait for you to meet her. She, the APA, at, at her with her leadership, helps find more than 4,000 pets find homes each year and thousands more through outreach and wellness initiatives. During her tenure, now listen to this, guys. Sarah has increased charitable giving by more than 70% and has doubled organizational reserves and has implemented a robust planned giving program that has resulted in secured and realized gifts totaling more than $13 million since its inception. Sarah, when did you start at the APA? It was the fall of 2016. So I'm actually coming up on five years. Okay. So Sarah, welcome. And I just want to say increased charitable giving by 70% and raised 13 million in plan giving in five years. And so that is, I'm sure you have so many lessons of inspiration and wisdom for our listeners. First, tell me how you found yourself at the APA. So it was very serendipitous. I actually was uh, in a previous position and spent most of my career working in healthcare in various positions. And I was ready for a change. And I have always loved animals and knew that if I were independently wealthy, which isn't super common in nonprofit work, I would put my money helping animals. And someone reached out to me and they were looking for a new executive director at the time. And I threw my hat in the ring and here I am. And I feel like I am just the luckiest person in the world to have this job. Oh, and so this is your first nonprofit job as executive director. So at an, a smaller organization, yes, I had been in healthcare gotcha. at various nonprofit Prof- organizations, and, ah, gotcha. some big, some, some smaller, in- but in this role, yes. Yes. We forget healthcare is nonprofit, don't we? <laughs> it is. Yeah. And I love what you said about, you know, like, cause what you were saying is like, you're really following your passion. Like if I could do anything and then you wound up landing the job. So what was like the biggest eye opener of the work? Oh goodness. Um, it was a huge thing for me to learn. I have to give just kudos to the team at the APA. They are extraordinary and knowledgeable and they are patient with me as I continue to learn because there's so much in caring for animals and like healthcare, you also need to make sure that you have them, you know, as healthy as possible, which means cleaning procedures and and different types of procedures for their health. So it has definitely been a learning experience over the past five years. And I am, I'm a lifelong learner. So this is great. I'm continuing to learn each day. Yeah. Every day is an adventure, huh? It is. Okay. So I am not perfect. I am awesome. And in my awesomeness, I forgot to act because I got all wrapped up in your, your amazing stats. I typically ask this question first. So I'm going to reverse engineer this. Tell me 
give me something that you're really proud of that you don't often get to brag about. Oh, goodness. Well, that's a tough question. And you're putting me on the spot. You know, I am incredibly proud of my kids. Of all of the things that I've, that I've done, they are by far my most, my, my biggest accomplishment and the thing that I'm most proud of. And just the little humans that they are. I can see the passion that I have for, for caring for others and doing things for others and just making the world a better place. I can see that in them. And that is huge. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I love that. Okay. So uh, let's, let's go back into your, your leadership. Tell me what, you know, when you came on, where was the APA and kind of what, what sort of journey have you taken them on in the years you've been there? So the APA is approaching our 100 year anniversary, which is very exciting. Um, not a lot of nonprofits have the opportunity to say that. So that's one thing that we are extremely proud of. And we're really lucky in that we have had donors and supporters who have been with us for a very long time, many of them even more than 50 years, which is another extraordinary thing. So the APA, while, you know, when I joined, we were in a really good place, but we always have opportunities to be better. So development was a, a huge thing. There hadn't really been a whole lot of expertise in the development area necessarily in, in recent years. And so I was able to bring that experience to the organization, which really made a difference. Planned giving was another area that we had dabbled in, but didn't have anything formalized. So it was a really huge area of opportunity, especially given the longevity of the organization and the number of people who've been supporting us for many, many years. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Like a hundred years and uh, old and didn't really have like what I would say an established or consistent plan giving. And I want to talk about that in a minute. And first I want to talk about I found out about you because of the grown ass adult campaign. And I even put it in my book and I, you didn't know me then that I was writing about you in my book <laughs> and the campaign that I just, I loved it so much because in my work, like this is what I've been working with people on it is, you know, to, to stand in your value and your mission and, and do something and say something interesting, but we're so afraid to do that because we don't want to make anybody mad. So we wound up, not really connecting with anyone. So tell me just a little bit. Well, first of all, explain what the campaign was and then, and then just tell me about how it went for you. Sure. So to give you a little bit of background, which I think is important, is one of the incredible things about the APA and one of the things that I, I, I love and I attribute this to the board and, and my personal leadership and, and the leadership of our, our leadership team is we are a pretty good-sized organization but we're also small enough that we can innovate and respond to the needs of the community as well as the needs of the pets that we serve, both in the organization as well as community pets that we help. And there are thousands of them. So one day I approached some members of our board who help with our marketing and awareness efforts. And I approached them with the problem, how do we get senior dogs out of the shelter more quickly? Now, you have to understand, first of all, that the APA has a very low average rate of stay, which is really, really incredible. Currently, our average length of stay is three days. At the time, it was around seven days. 
And that's still amazing that animals find a home within a week. That's not typical in animal welfare. So I approached our board and I, I said, you know, I'd like to find a way to highlight our senior pets and how can we bring attention to them and, and really show how great older pets are. And one of our board members in all of her candor <laughs> said, well, stop calling them seniors because I think of a dog that <laughs> is nearing its end of life and, you know, is maybe going to go to the bathroom everywhere and all of these undesirable qualities. And I said, well, okay, what would you call them instead? She said, well, call them grown ass adults. That's what they are. And so my initial response was, okay, well, how do we make that, you know, a, a marketing campaign in a way that is, is more, you know, PC or acceptable. And she was like, no, you just call them that. And so we worked with a, a boutique firm locally called Darling Makery, which is an extraordinary, brilliant group of, of professionals who they brought the campaign to life. And what this did, it was the grown ass adult campaign. And it highlighted both dogs and cats and the really great qualities and why somebody would want to consider an adult pet. Things like already being potty trained or things like not chewing up your favorite pair of shoes or not needing to go out in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom because they like to sleep through the night too. And it was a really edgy, innovative campaign that was a little bit of a risk, but it really aligned with who we are as a really fun, positive organization. And it took off. We, we launched it and I remember waking up one morning and seeing all of these notifications. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of notifications on Facebook and was able to track it back to an individual who had shared it in Michigan. And from there, that was like the tipping point. And it went viral very quickly. It traveled the world. It actually still goes around. It's funny, periodically, I will see someone share it and they're like, look at this great campaign as though it is just being shared for the first time. But <laughs> we've, it, we saw incredible things happen from that. The average length of stay for older pets actually reduced by two days. We had lots of organic shares from that campaign. We received an award for that campaign as well. I was invited to, to talk on, on panels and things around social media, which is not my expertise, but it really brought a lot of really great attention. And most of all, it helped pets, not just locally in St. Louis, but because other shelters across the country and around the world were sharing it they were able to highlight how yeah. great their pets were too. Right, so it right. really made a huge difference. They could change the narrative about grown-ass adult dogs in their, in their area too. And one of the things I, I wrote in the book and it, was, and it was like, I wonder what that boardroom conversation was when they decided to use the word ass because as everyone knows, the boards tend to be incredibly risk averse. But even if it was just a, you know, a grown a grown adult dog campaign. Like it just didn't have the same, you know, it was the fun of it and the, and also the descriptions with the dogs, like of why they were grown up, you know, like, you know, I don't pee on the bed, you know, all I want are naps, like, like, like all the, all the benefits of having a grown dog. And it was really funny. And I'm thinking, 
and a little irreverent and very sweet, which may describe your organization. <laughs> like, right, right. And it, like, it needed that. It wouldn't have had the same kick had it not had that. And I'm thinking, were they freaking out about it? Did they, did they trust you? Like what, what, how did that go? So it's funny that you would say that because I would have thought the same thing as well. I think I was more nervous about it than they were because I would be the one fielding the phone calls, but you're right. It would not have sounded the same. And I had a lot more worries than anyone else did. In fact, before we launched this campaign, I made sure in a board meeting that we voted on it to approve the launch of this campaign. So I couldn't lose my job if it backfired. (laughs) Um, But we, when we launched it, I really anticipated that the phone would ring off the hook. We received a total of four complaints. And when, for most of those people who did actually ask me about it, why would we use the word ass in a campaign? I explained, you know, sort of the, the pop culture reference and also shared the impact and how we had actually helped a number of animals and reduced the length of stay and helped more animals get adopted through this. And so those people who were complaining were like, oh, well, okay. If it made a difference, made then, a difference. Yeah. we can overlook it. But yeah, it was, uh, I was the more risk averse one, but it ended up being (laughs) fine. And, you know, sometimes you have to take that little bit of risk. It was funny. It was edgy. It was relatable. And anyone who had ever owned a puppy or a kitten could say, yes, I absolutely agree with this. Yeah. And I remember this, that you held an event on national puppy day. (laughs) We did. That was the lunch. That was, that was was just all really irreverent and very fun, you know, with grown ass adult cocktails, beverages, and and you had alcohol and and took the theme and ran with it and had fun with it. And, you know, that's it. You either got to commit to it or don't do it. And that's, that's what happens when you commit to it and you really let go. And, and Sarah, I want to say a couple of things. One is, you know, one of the things I really work with organizations on is you don't convince people to care. You connect with like-minded people. And that's what that gave you an opportunity to do, right? Like, because we spend so much time worrying about, you know, what people are going to think that aren't our people anyway, even in our own lives and our personal lives. And then the other thing is like the people who called, even there are four, even if there was more that can still be okay, because objections are, they cared enough to call, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, wow, they're they like, whoa, I, I need to know what's happening here. And So you can say, oh, we have complaints, or you can look at them as, you know, people are, they, they cared enough to call and you got an opportunity to engage with them and explain something and, you know, and, and have a touch point with them. So I I just think, you know, even, even if it's a little bit, the C word controversial, sometimes that's like, we tend, I, I know nonprofits tend to shy away from that. And, you know, and also it's because they want to appeal to everyone, but it really is a way for people to say, yes, that, gosh, that's me. I see myself reflected in that when we see ourselves reflected. And that's what was happening in that campaign. We're like, oh my God, I can totally, so this relatable, totally relate to this. And that's what made it so shareable. So yay for you and yay for shorter stays in the shelter and more dogs getting adopted. Absolutely. Um, So it's all worth it in the end. And so let's go back to the plan giving. And I would love for you to share. Because when you, you know, a few years ago, you all did not have any plan giving a program. 
And I want you to talk about this because when we chatted previous to this podcast, what I loved about what you were doing is how simple it was. So sometimes plan giving, oh, I need that, you know, eight page brochure with all this stuff and plan giving is really complicated. And how can we ever do that? And, or we'll do that one day, but it feels so heavy. You never get through it. So I would just like for you to explain sort of what you did to get this started. Sure. So we were very fortunate in that while we had no formalized program, we were still receiving some planned gifts. And that goes just, that speaks to the organization and the longevity and the connections that we had with all of our supporters. So it was really fortunate, uh, a fortunate position to be in because there were a lot of low hanging fruit and opportunities to build on something that already existed, even though it had not necessarily been intentional. So one of the things that we did first was really scoured our database. We looked at you know donor histories and realized we had a lot of people who had been supporting us for a very long time. I had minimal experience with planned gifts, just enough to be dangerous, to kind of know a little bit, but not, you know, be the one to, to really figure out where do we go from here. But I'm also really good in good at seeking out resources and depending on other people who do have expertise. One of the things just to kind of speak broadly as a leader I believe very much in surrounding myself with people who are really good at what they do, removing barriers and staying out of their way to let them do the work that they do. So I, my ego is not involved in this. I, I like other people to shine and use their expertise and then we all win. And so how it all started is we had one really incredible volunteer. Her name was Donna and she had retired from wealth management in the banking industry and was wanting to volunteer. So with her expertise, we were able to look over some of the the donor information that we had. And and she kind of helped me assess where are we in terms of what a planned giving program might look like. She had the brilliant idea that rather than me, because I don't have the expertise trying to do all of this, let's assemble an advisory council of experts that can help guide the direction, which this was beautiful because it allowed me to lean on these folks and, and take their expertise and build something really incredible with minimal work, really. So we reached out to wealth advisors, estate planning attorneys, you know, banking professionals, you know, a few different folks. And we ended up pulling together a group of seven professionals who were able to advise us in this. And we got everyone together and explained that, hey, we, we want to formalize this program, but what should it look like? And based on their experience working with individuals, they were able to say, these are the different components that you need. You need to educate your donors about the opportunities, but you also need to educate financial advisors in the community so they can share this with their own clients. So from there, we put together a few pieces of information. We first determined what gifts we were wanting to accept. We wanted to keep it very simple. There are some very complicated vehicles out there for planned giving, but we wanted to keep this very simple and easy to manage. So we really stuck with, you know, um, life insurance, you know, wills and estate gifts, cash, 
stocks, things like that. We didn't want to get into all of those other more complicated types of things. So we determined what gifts we would accept. And then we put the information out there on our website. So it was accessible to both donors as well as advisors. We also put together a one-sheeter that could be sent out to estate planning attorneys and advisors, or that people could give to their, their own advisors that gave sample language that could be included. It gave information such as our tax ID number, the you know, legal name of the organization, and anything that they would need to be able to incorporate the APA into their plans. And then we did simple things like updating our remit envelope when we would send out appeals to include a little checkbox. Hey, I'm interested in a planned gift. So that let us know who might be interested. Um, and once we had these different components set up and a brochure, we did have a brochure because it's important to be able to share information. But once we had these components set up, we wanted to tell people about it. So Another idea that came out of the planned giving council was to host a Sunday afternoon tea, since most of the people we were targeting were, were a little bit older. We wanted it to be during the daytime. It was during the spring. And using our database and looking at people who had been giving consistently for 10 years or more, we had hundreds of people to invite. Wow. Which, again, was incredible. So we had different flavors of tea. We had different little finger foods. This was before COVID. Right. <laughs> little, little finger foods. And we had puppies and kittens. And we created an experience where people who maybe hadn't stepped foot in the, in the shelter in years, if ever, could come in and just see what we were all about. We had one person who had already told us that we were in her estate plans. She spoke briefly about why she loved the APA and why she had included us in her plans. I spoke briefly in all. The presentation was maybe 15 minutes. And the rest of the time was just spent talking to people and letting them experience the joy that exists within our walls oh. and seeing for themselves why they would want to support this beyond their lifetime. And it was, it was great. I will say if anybody borrows this idea, we did learn to have little go boxes after the event where people could take cookies and cakes and things with them. Ah. But it was, it was great. And it, it gave us a, a way to start conversations around this program. And you did one other event too, right? For the, um, for the planners. We did. So in addition to people, we us wanting people to know about it. We wanted advisors to know about it as well. So we did another small event, similar setup, only it was a happy hour. And we invited, you know, estate planning attorneys, financial advisors, wealth advisors. We invited those folks to come to a happy hour. Many of them had never been here before. We again had puppies and kittens. We again shared the information about the Planned Giving Society. And the goal for this was to put us top of mind. So sometimes what happens is an individual or a client of theirs might say, I really love animals, so I want to leave my estate to, to help animals. But they don't necessarily have a specific organization in mind. So sometimes they'll ask their attorney or their advisor, who do you recommend? So we wanted to be that organization. And that has actually been effective. We, we have seen 
realized planned gifts that came from that very kind of conversation. And so we used our counsel, since they themselves were, were the attorneys and advisors, they extended an invitation to their network, which meant that we were able to reach people that we had no relationship with by using their relationships. And it made it really easy for us on the planning end of it. And then we sent each, per- or each person home after the event with a packet of information that they as an advisor would need to work with their clients. And it, it worked beautifully. So when you say it worked beautifully, then what happened after that? So we have had a number of people contact us, letting us know that we are in their estate plans. So those people who plan, you know, who attended the tea, we've also kept in touch with financial advisors. We have had them send clients our way to do tours and to learn more about us. We've also realized some gifts that came out of conversations where the financial advisor said, hey, there's this really great organization that helps animals. Wow. And so in that 13 million and secured and realized gifts holding 13 million since you started that, that's, you know, and like, I want to just say like, what came through for me was you kept it simple. You made it easy. You know, you invited the people and, and just got, you know, like, well, let's see what happens. And a lot of good things happened. (laughs) A lot of really great things happened. The one thing I would say too that I didn't mention that I think is so important, especially in today's world where we depend so much on email and texting and things like that. I think the key that has been, that has made us so successful is the personal touch. So when that phone rings and someone has questions about planned giving or what we do as an organization, I pick up the phone and I, you know, we'll take 30, 45 minutes, whatever it takes to, to talk them through that and to explain it and to, to share the success stories. I follow up with notes, you know, handwritten notes, which don't happen nearly enough these days, but follow up with handwritten notes and send them things to keep it easy, to make their planning simple. And I have really been amazed by the number of people who have said, you know, I, you're the first one who's picked up the phone and had this conversation with me, or you're the first person who returned my call. I mean, can you imagine not returning that phone call? And so those really get prioritized for me. I mean, these are are people who care deeply about, about animals and about our organization And so I set aside as much time as they need to talk through it. And that is, that makes a lot of difference. And and there's so much power in the phone call. I mean, in just that personal outreach and, you know, I, as for as outgoing as I am, sometimes I, I hesitate around the phone. And so that's a good reminder, you know, even uh, just the outreach where, and just leaving a quick voicemail, you know, is, can be very, very powerful tool. And I love that. You kept it simple. One of the things you said is your job as a leader is just to remove barriers, right? Just like, you're like, okay, what's in the way? Let me take that out of the way. Let me take that. In the, and I can see how that, that mindset has really created so many great results for your organization. Yes, I would absolutely agree with that. And is that something that you felt like you had, you know, is this, was that something you realized when you got the role? Or is that always how you sort of problem solved? Because there's a lack of ego in that, right? Like, it doesn't have to come from you. It just, it just has to be done. 
You know, like I don't care who does it. Let's just move this forward. Like, I feel like that's kind of your philosophy. Marianne, I would love to say I have always been that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, as much as I would, would love to, to say that it has been a, an, a process of evolution as a leader. I attribute, I've had some really amazing mentors in my, in my life and in my career. And I, some of the best, the ones that I looked up to and really respected and saw make the biggest impact were those very kind of leaders. So I have sort of modeled, or I guess molded my leadership after, uh, you know, what they have modeled for me. And so while I would love to take credit, (laughs) (laughs) my hope is that I can pass that on to, to other leaders because it, it definitely makes a difference, not only to the organization and the success you're able to experience, but to the people you're leading as well. And, you know, it doesn't, I don't need to be the one to have all of the answers. And I think that my team appreciates that about me as well. And it helps them do their jobs more effectively For because sure. they're trusted. Yeah. Good leaders make more leaders, right? Correct. Like that, that's what we're out to do. And in, in the you know, I coach and train people from all over the country in my up level your influence course. And that's exactly what we're doing is to help help them, you know, create better leaders in themselves. And then our goal is to rain that down like a waterfall. Like, like I always envision it like I have a coach and her name's Michelle and she's amazing. And then she just like rains down on me, you know, like, and then I flow that on and then they flow that. And then we're all in this flow, right? Of like the input output, you know what I mean? Receiving wisdom, sharing wisdom. And that you come from a much more energy rich place than, than if you're trying to solve it all by yourself. I wholeheartedly agree. Mm-hmm. And I find that very often by, by trusting my team and by supporting them and, and their brilliance, we are in a, a position to be much more innovative. And in many situations, they do far better and are far more successful than if I would have said, here's how to do it. Yep. For sure. Awesome. It's about helping people come to their own conclusions about how to solve a problem instead of you having to solve the problem. And isn't it great? Everyone who's listening, you don't have to solve any problems. All you have to do is give people the time and space to come up with their own solutions. Yay. <laughs> yes, It is, it is a, a great way to lead. All right. Hey, so we're about out of time. So I want to say, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience about what, who you are and what you do? Sure. So just to kind of touch, uh, there were a couple of more things that I think are important about the planned giving is that connection with the people who are wanting to support you. We talked a little bit about that, but also recognizing and honoring that why they wanted to give and, and why they've supported you. And we established a society to make that happen. And that is important. So you created a planned giving society? We did. And we named it after our founder. And so we did create the Ella Meganson Society, which recognizes those folks who have committed to a planned gift. And it gives us an opportunity to thank them while they are still alive. One of the things that sometimes happens is that we will receive a gift and had no idea that it was coming. And so in those situations, I usually, if appropriate, reach out to the family to better understand what was 
the purpose of, of giving? What, what was it about animals or our organization that that person loved so much? Because these are people and I want to understand their story and their connection to us because those gifts that they leave, I mean, it's a legacy that they're leaving behind and they're helping well beyond their lifetime. So that connection is really important. So I would encourage people if they're thinking about a planned giving program to have a way to connect with those folks while they're still here and, and let them know how, how much you appreciate their support. Just in general, for your listeners, if they haven't been to the APA, I would recommend stopping in and seeing some of the amazing pets we have. I think you shared, we, we help over 4,000 pets find homes every single year. And a lot of those pets are also coming from areas where second chances are a little harder to come by. So we're helping shelters that are a little bit more stretched thin or under-resourced, helping them save lives as well. So it's a, it's a great place. It's a happy place. And even just walking through, it's, it's really a special place to be. So I would in, invite people in. I want to say that is awesome. And if we have listeners all over and if anyone's in St. Louis, go by because it's worth it to see a happy shelter. You know, sometimes we get like, oh, the shelters are so depressing and the dogs are so sad. So it's wonderful that you're creating such a happy place for animals. Yeah, this um, is not a sad place at all. And if you are not in St. Louis, you can check us out at apamo.org and get a little sneak peek of some of yeah. our animals who have been uh, united with their families. And also in the, the show notes will be the social media links and ways you can get in touch with Sarah and the APA to learn more. Sarah, I always end with the same question. I open and close. And so the question is now you and I share the same city. And I don't know if you know me about this, but I am a karaoke fanatic and I make no apologies. <laughs> it is my favorite form of self-expression. And so if we were ever at karaoke together, what would be your go-to karaoke song to sing? Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh goodness. I cannot, I am terrible, terrible with names of songs. So Oh, this is tough. But what I will tell you, <laughs> yes. one, I've never done karaoke solo. I have wanted to, but I have not yet gotten up the nerve. Okay. So maybe we could do a duet. Yes, but for sure. I could, I what, could support you through that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> whatever the song would be, it would have to be like a badass female power song. I don't know what that is. I would really, oh, I'm not good with this kind of thing, hey, but I you, can tell you it would be a strong, a strong woman song. Okay. So do you ever, okay. Do you ever hear of nineties girl group Veruca Salt? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Volcano girls. Okay. You know that song? I don't remember it off the top of okay. my head if I heard it. And well, it, it is, terrible it is it. a power volcano girls. Okay. I won't sing it, but I'll just go because that is the power ballad. And let's just make, let's, we'll just, we'll just have to figure out a way to make that happen. We, we will have to do it. You All, right. All right, Sarah, thank <laughs> you so much for spending time with me and sharing these incredible stories. You are an inspiration. I love that you came into this nonprofit. And I feel like, you know, for me, it's like, sometimes you drop into an industry and you don't have any expectations about how things should be. And you just, create the reality you want. And I think it's a reminder for us that at any time we can create whatever reality we want to see. 
And I just witnessed that in, in your work. And I appreciate all the work you do for the pets in our community to, you know, to just find more pets homes and make our whole city of St. Louis a more loving place. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I mentioned to you, this was my first podcast. And if I ever do it again, whoever the host is will have huge shoes to fill because you have made this a great experience. Thank you so much. I receive all of that. I appreciate it so much. And so thank you for joining and I will see you next time on the Influential Nonprofit. And as always, if you are interested in up-leveling your leadership, I coach and train nonprofit leaders just like you all over the country to get the most out of themselves and everyone else. And if you're interested, you can go to the influentialnonprofit.com and you can download your Uplevel Your Influence Starter Kit. I have all kinds of goodies in there around some of the leadership topics that Sarah and I were discussing today. And if you're like, yes, Miriam, I am ready to contribute at a higher level. I am ready to connect more with people that I'm your girl. You can just, and my booking link is in the show notes. It's connectwithmarianne.com. I'm happy to connect with you and see how I can help you grow your influence. Thank you all. And we'll see you next time on the Influential Nonprofit. Thanks for listening to the Influential Nonprofit with your host, Marianne Dersh. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Also, Check out the influentialnonprofit.com for more resources on growing your influence so you can raise more and do more.